podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria interviews Jen Hand, the author of How to Be a Normal Eater, Finally Make Peace with Food, and Live a Life Free from Dieting and the Normal Eater's Checklist. There is a path to learn how to be one of those normal eaters, and Jen's work shows us how to get there. Jen Hand, who has inspired thousands of women through her blog and podcast, outlines how to overcome binge eating how to find freedom from dieting, and how to, finally, make peace with food. With practical and actionable steps, she offers personal stories, simple strategies, and reassuring words to help you end the diet binge cycle forever. Jen Hand is a certified nutritionist, food freedom and body image coach, and founder of jenhand.com. She helps women transform their relationship with food, fall in love with their bodies, and become one of those normal eaters. Here is the interview with Jen Hand. In your own words, who is Jen Hand? Jen Hand is a multi-passionate creative who is, whose sole purpose is to leave an impact on the world. Simple and profound. Thank you. Before we talk about some of the topics in your book, uh, how to be a normal eater, finally make peace with food and live a life free from dieting. And also the normal dieters checklist. I have these warm-up questions here, as I mentioned earlier. The first one for you had to be this one. (laughs) What does it mean to be a human? I think being a human in this time and space means that we're in both the joy and the confusion and in the laughter and the pain in the, in the dichotomy of all of the human emotions and the human experience. And I think a lot of times we can get caught up in only wanting the quote unquote good things and good feelings. And to me, what I've learned is that as a human, we are here to experience both as part of our spiritual path. Mm, How wonderful. Yes. So with that in mind, I will ask you this other question here. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need or perhaps greatest healing need? I would say the need for waking up. And by that, I mean moving beyond the limited scope of our minds or our beliefs or 
the ego and really waking up to our purpose, our calling, our presence, our our spiritual selves. And just through my own personal work on this food path and in finding and, and cultivating my own spiritual side, it, it's been such a life-changing experience that I'm a different person. And I think as we're here in this time and space that it's then the need for waking up to who we really are is is the biggest call. What do you think is the purpose or the ultimate purpose of the human experience? So I, I, this is an interesting question because I think for so long, I thought I had to find my purpose. And Eckhart Tolle opened my eyes, he writes The Power of Now, opened my eyes to our primary purpose is to sort of be present, is, is presence and, and the, the joyous being within ourselves, like that, like finding and, and getting in touch with that is, is our primary purpose. And I think as a human, it's, it's easy to forget like, no, I need a purpose. I need a calling. And I think it's amazing to have that external purpose of helping people in third world countries or being a nurse or whatever we're called to do. And also to remember that really our purpose is to get in touch with who we really are and to live in that way with that connection. Mm, How wonderful. Yeah, I hear that a lot. The power of the present moment, the power of now, as he accurately says. So I'm wondering what is it about the present moment? What do we find here? Well, I'd say from my own experience, I think there's there's sort of levels of it in the sense mm-hmm. that like, if you know, I often get the question when the women I work with start, me- start a meditation practice, like I'm not being present. I'm just caught up in my mind. I, I don't feel very peaceful. And it's like, okay, maybe that's the first layer. But as we sit in stillness and as we let the thoughts kind of settle or watch them go by or start to detach more, we kind of drop through those layers to that that stillness. And um, so I, I think when I'm really connected, I, I feel that peace and that joy and that just by, just by breathing. You know, I wouldn't say it's my daily existence, but, um, you know, things to strive for. Um, but yeah, kind of like, dropping through the layers of the mind and the thoughts and the franticness and the, and the to-dos and the busyness and letting all of that settle, we can sort of drop deeper into, oh, there's that peace or there's that stillness. So there's that joy. Mm. I love the way you connect the present moment, that stillness to joy and peace. That resonates a lot. Do you think we can find this sense of inner peace and joy even in the midst of the doingness and the business of life? Yeah. And I think that's like the ultimate challenge. Okay. <laughs> it's like, it's how do we bring that, how do we bring that connection to ourselves, to that peace, to that stillness, into checking email, into checking or posting on social media, into doing the dishes. And and I think really that's also a part of being human. You know, we're we're human beings and how can we take that spiritual part of ourselves into daily life. And I do think we are just as a society, busyness is the norm. And, and a lot of people, 
be included, you know, we get our worth from productivity or achievement. And it's like, how do we bring our sense of spirituality and connection to ourselves into whatever we're doing and letting that doing be the end result rather than the result or the the outcome be what we're striving for. That's beautifully said, because I hear a lot too, this idea of being a human being and just resting and being in alignment with that. But then we are human doings too. We are both, (laughs) right? Not just beings. I like that a lot. That's true to me. What is your own definition for the word health? What is to be healthy in your opinion? To me, health is a whole body, mind, soul approach to how we live. And I think a lot of times in our society, we take health to be physical and we, we forget the mental and emotional and spiritual sides of us. And when I think of health, I think of I am feeling whole and satisfied and joyful in many areas of my life and not just I eat a certain diet or I have a certain workout regimen. And um, I do think there's there's been a shift in that view over the last five years or so of of really holistic health. We're not just looking at a number or a size or a specific quantitative measurement. We're taking into account more and more that whole being. And really, you know, I still even default into, oh, health, I'm healthy, I'm physically healthy. And then I kind of take a breath and say, am I also emotionally healthy? How's my mindset? How is my spiritual connection? So definitely that sort of full body approach. I love that too. I love your wisdom, Jen. Oh, thank you. What do you love most about being a woman? Interestingly, the thing I love the most is actually the part of me I resisted the most, which is my emotional complexity. And I think that's part of why I developed a lot of eating struggles is because I stuffed my emotions and didn't know how to deal with the complexity that I felt and the sensitivity that I felt in the in my emotional realm. And so now that I've done a lot of work and continue to do work around emotions, it's it's like I feel like it's my superpower. Mm-hmm. I, I get to feel these things. I get to hear my my soul whispering via emotions that yes or no. And really I think as women that's our superpower. And not, that's not to say men don't have emotions too. I think it's women are so innately emotionally complex and, and we squash that. And it's like, no, let's embrace that. And let's let that be the guide in our day-to-day of, of where, we're, where we're drawn towards and what we're supposed to do next instead of you know the, the, the mental, intellectual part of ourselves. Mm. I love this idea of self-love and self-acceptance that made me think about these components. And my other question about being a woman is, what is the most challenging aspect about being a woman? I would say for me, the fear of being too much. And part of that emotional complexity that I just mentioned is that there's this subliminal or subconscious maybe fear if I let the full depth of my emotions out into the world is that too much? Is that going to scare someone away? Is that going to be taken in the wrong context? Is that going to be, you know, someone going to judge me or criticize me? And and so 
it's my own work and my own journey to continue to have the courage to be myself in all of the depth and all of the complexity and not, you know, not fear, not fear being too much. Mm. Yes. A million times to that one. (laughs) Yes. That confidence of being yourself, right? Without fear. What is the meaning of freedom to you? What is to be free? So, you know, if you had asked me this 10 years ago, I would have (laughs) solely related it to food because I had yearned for that so much, like the freedom. I just want to feel free around food. And now to me, it means freedom, I guess, on all levels. And if I I had to distill it down to one sentence, I would say freedom to express my soul. Uh, And then sort of under that umbrella would be, yes, food freedom and body trust and financial freedom and all of the things that we yearn for. But I think, and you know, going deep, deep down to like the core sentence would be the freedom to express who I am and my soul in this lifetime as a human. What is love to you, Jen? Love would be an inner feeling for me. And I know that's probably counterintuitive to what a lot of people say, but, you know, falling in love or you're in love with your work. But really, I think can we feel that love from within and can we feel love for ourselves, for our family, for our world, for, you know, fill in the blank with whatever it is. But a lot of times we grow up thinking it's conditional, like you do this and I'll love you. Or we learn that, you know, I'm supposed to behave like this and you'll love me. But to me, like real, real love is is internal. And it's that feeling of connection to, you know, tapping into that heart center and being like, oh, there's where that love comes from. It comes from within within me. And then that radiates out to the person we're with or the work that we're doing or the client that we're serving or whatever. And that made me think about this question that I often ask about unconditional self-love. Do you believe in this kind of state of being or practice? I believe in it. And I think it, it's it's one of those life journeys really of always deepening and evolving and expanding more and more and more into that yeah. unconditional self-love because I think we learn otherwise. You know, we start out loving ourselves unconditionally and then we learn all of the conditions that need to be met in our minds before we're acceptable or loved. And, you know, within the work that I've done, on myself around food and weight and body. It's like, it really is just that learning unconditional self-love and continuing to deepen that. So the short answer is yes, I do believe it. And the long answer would be, I think it's also a life journey, unfortunately. (laughs) True. Yeah, it is a practice. I think it becomes possible when we have that understanding that this is what we're supposed to be doing here then it becomes easier to practice uh, from my experience. (laughs) What, where, and who is God to you? Again, my perspective on God is is continually changing, interestingly enough. I grew up Catholic, and so my definition of God was a male figure in the sky for a long time. (laughs) And now doing just spiritual work and, and getting into yoga and meditation, For me, God is really universal energy. Um, And I remember I used to write in my journal, like, dear God, and Mm -hmm. do something. And then over the years, it just became a different name, like dear universe or dear goddess or dear divine. And so Mm -hmm. to me, it's the name 
means less than how I feel when I when I say the word. And so actually currently I'm using divine goddess. Um, that that for me right now, I, I read it in a book somewhere and I was like, oh, I love that because mm-hmm. it pointed me within instead of without. And it it took me from like this external thing that judges or that has a lot of baggage around it to the soft, sensual energy of of my soul. So I would say really it's it's about the energy that's within all of us, if I had to kind of put it in a short sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Beautifully said. You just mentioned yoga meditation. How did you come across? When did you start practicing them? I do yoga really as a spiritual practice. I know a lot of people have, there's so many different types, but the the woman I was working with to help with my food struggle recommended I do yoga as a way to get out of my head and into my body. And that was probably in 2006. So a long time ago, but I remember so vividly that first class because it was the first time that I had, I had gotten out of my head. And if that sounds unbelievable, I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, did I spend my whole life in my head? I don't know, (laughs) but it got me like, it didn't last forever that I was just living solely in my body because we're human and we have our minds. But it, that feeling of, oh, there's a whole side of me that I didn't explore yet, like getting in touch with inhabiting my physical being because I'd lived so much in my head was astonishing. And it that really drew me back. I wanted that feeling to deepen. I wanted it. I just wanted to hold on to that of just like, oh, there's my body. Like I've met her for the first time kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) That's cute. Yeah. The way you say about living in the head and detached from the whole being, right? We talked earlier about holistic health. Yeah. Yeah. And that's interesting how we do that. How come? (laughs) So how did you become a writer? I actually think I've always loved writing and I when I did a study abroad program my senior year of college and just fell in love with writing as a way of self-expression because I felt like I didn't know yet how to verbally express what I felt or what I thought or kind of the jumble that had been my he- in, in my head because I was learning how to, to process emotions and how to, to express what I wanted. And writing was a tool to help me with no judgment, you know, I could throw it out if I wanted to, no one would read it, of journaling what I felt and what I was experiencing in my study abroad and the new cultures and the new experiences and my struggles and moving through them. And it sort of just moved on from there. It just became a really regular part of my my practice, of my life, of journaling. And I started blogging a while back and that kind of developed into, into writing a book. So it was really... I think it's always been in me um, as a way to express safely because because no one's reading it, you know, well, True. the journal anyway. They call it healing practice, but yeah, I think it's just a way of expressing ourselves without, like you said, in this open space. Mm-hmm. So no judgment. Talk to me about the intention of writing your book, How to Be a Normal Eater. Honestly, my intention was... <laughs> It was for me. Like I, I wrote that book because I felt like I needed to to get it out. Like I needed to birth that into the world. And 
that was the primary intention. Like I, I couldn't, it was like, I couldn't continue without writing this. It was just almost like a calling to express this, to share my story. And the secondary intention was to give women who were struggling a a tangible physical thing that they could keep in their purse or their nightstand to help them in moments of darkness and give them hope and just give them that light. And Because for me and my struggles, books were so like a lifeline for me. I, I kept them in my purse and on my nightstand just to like, if I was struggling or just thought I was, you know, losing it or wanting to give up, I would reread a, a chapter or an excerpt and it really, really helped me. So that was kind of the secondary component to it. And before I ask you, what is a normal eater? <laughs> Let me ask you this other question. Why did you choose to become a nutritionist? So I originally wanted to be a nutritionist because I wanted to help people with food. And as I sort of studied and and just lived my own struggle and experience and got help and moved through the process, I realized, oh, wait, it's not just food. And we all know really, okay, vegetables over cookies or whole grains over white bread. And it's like, how can we go beyond that? And so it it sort of started as the goal to help people with food. And then that morphed over the years into the, the deeper work, you know, the, the work that goes deeper than the food and uncovering why, you know, why are we binge eating? Why are we eating when we're bored or overwhelmed or stressed? And looking at the depth of why are we really struggling? You know, not not just give me a food plan, but like, let's let's look at what's really going on. And this is where the work really is, or oh, the truth, Yeah. <laughs> let's say. Before we talk about the normal eater's checklist, please answer that question. What is to be a normal eater? This is my favorite <laughs> question of all time because so many women are like, I don't know how to be normal. Right. <laughs> I was right. like, I didn't either. <laughs> but to me, normal means finding a way of eating that works for the individual. Mm-hmm. And I think in this world we live in so often where we get caught up in keto or paleo or do this, my neighbor did that and lost 20 pounds. And like, this is the way of eating that works and I'm going to do it. And it's like, but what if it doesn't work for us? You know, what if it doesn't work because our body's different or because our metabolism's different because we don't like the food that that's on that plan. And so it's un, it's a lot of unlearning, unlearning what we've been taught around, especially if we've been in the diet world about what's good and what's quote unquote bad and what we should and shouldn't do and really getting in touch with our own intuition, our own knowing of, oh, this works for me or that works for me and experiencing it within our bodies and not having a mental conclusion around, oh, that's what works for me. It's like a deeper knowing of, okay, this is the way of eating that works for me. And I can listen to my body and hear her and change and evolve as she changes and evolves. So that's kind of the long answer, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it makes so much sense listening to our bodies, taking responsibility first for our own happiness and health, and then doing the work of listening and unlearning. I love that idea. This can be applied to life itself. Yes, yes. That's for sure. 
So talk to me about the normal eater's checklist. I designed it so people can get a quick sort of like, where do I start to give people a step they can focus on or a small little tidbit of actionable advice. And I think a lot of times when we're trying to find our normal, or we're trying to stop dieting or trying to just be more intuitive with the way we eat, it can be hard to know where to start. And so I designed it really as a way to give people a few steps they can take, a few actionable strategies they can move move towards. And uh, you know, one of the the biggest things I hear, and this was true for me also, is that well, how do we like if we're okay? Let's say we've we've spent our whole life dieting. Like I spent my my whole life as as long as I could remember dieting or binging. So I was either mm. trying to be on a plan or I went off and I was binging. And it was like, to me, that was normal. I didn't know there was another way. I didn't know there were people who just ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner and a snack and moved on with their day. So it was like, okay, how do we get from there from from this place we're at. And it's often too big of a jump. It's like, oh, that's so far from where I am that I don't even know, I don't even know what to do. And so giving people some actionable things that they can do. Yeah, and it's very clear the way you outline all the items. One of the things that really surprised me every time when I talk to my guests or anyone about trying to lose weight and take control of our health and all is that willpower component. I think what we think that we need more willpower, it's like, oh, and that's my dad always, he always says, oh, I need more willpower. And then I, you know, launch into my spiel and he hasn't listened to me, but that's okay. (laughs) But um, it's, we think we just need more willpower. And I, I talk about, I think in my book that, some of the women I've worked with, and when I think of my the things I used to do around food, like they took so much willpower to only eat 800 calories a day or to do seven days a week of an hour on the treadmill. Like that took serious willpower. So it's not for lack of willpower that things don't last or things don't work. It's like willpower eventually runs out and then we're left with, well, what now? You know, if we we follow a program for 30 days and we're using our willpower and we're, we're motivated and then we get to the end of that 30 days and it's kind of like, well, now what? Now what do I rely on? What do I do? And so I like to guide women into being so balanced physically, mentally, emotionally that they don't need the food. And of course, that's a process and mm. doesn't happen overnight. But it, but wow. when I say, hey, no thank you to that piece of cake, it's not from a space of I'm using willpower. It's from a space of, hmm, I just don't want that right now. I might want it tomorrow. I might want it on the weekend. I might want it next birthday, but I don't want it right now. And so it's like, that is my ultimate goal to help women get to that space where they don't want it and they can choose yes or no from that point. That sounds a lot more uh, like empowerment coming from that place of empowerment and self-knowledge. Yes, I love that way of describing it, empowerment. That's, that's exactly it. Like we might not, we might not want it and say yes anyway, because it's your, the, your best friend's birthday and you know, all right, I'll have a few bites or I'll have a piece. But it's like you're empowered to choose yes or no, and it's not you're using willpower to do it. 
Another thing that I found interesting is the food rules. Why do we create food rules and how do we become more aware about them? And what do we do also to change these patterns? You know, I think that we create them out of fear. So I think for myself, I was afraid to gain weight if I ate carbohydrates or if I ate after 7 p.m. or if I ate cookies on a Wednesday. So it was sort of like out of fear of losing control, Mm. I developed these rules. Mm. And I think in society, we also kind of learn, oh, this is good or bad or we should or shouldn't have this. And so we internalize that and create these rules around, oh, oh, if I if I do that, I'm going to spiral out of control or I'm going to gain weight. And so a part of the work is, is not to break them all at once and be like, right, I'm not doing any of those rules. It's to take a couple or one and to say, how can I soften this a little bit? How can I move beyond my comfort zone to gain the confidence and experience around it? To, to know that I don't have to follow that instead of mentally telling ourselves we don't need to follow that. So an example would be one of my biggest ones was no desserts during the week. Weekends where I could only have dessert on the weekend. And so mm-hmm. to break it, I would start with something like really, really little. Like I would have one cookie after lunch on a Wednesday. And that seems so, you know, right now to me, I'm like, oh, that doesn't, that's, doesn't seem like anything. But at the time, it was a huge step for me to have that cookie and to enjoy it and to not feel guilt and to do self-talk around, I'm allowed to have this, I'm allowed to enjoy this. And then after realizing, oh, I, I was okay, I could have that cookie, it started to soften that black and white view of, I can't have desserts during the week. I love this idea though. No rules, no scales too. You talk about that, let go of the scale. And you also talk about diets. That's a big one. It's interesting because I think we were brought up to think if we want to lose weight, we go on a diet. And it's like, in my lifetime, I hope I see just a whole (laughs) paradigm shift around around the, in the diet industry of not that we're, we're, we're doing this to get a result, but that we're totally changing how we relate to food. Because I mean, food is, food is so much more than, right, just eat salads every day or just eat grilled chicken and broccoli every night. It's, it's, we're complex. And so our relationship to food is complex. Another subject that's interesting, intuitive eating, you know, and eating the same foods every single day. What would you say to someone like myself? I eat the same breakfast every day, the same one. I don't feel a need to search for something else. I would say if you're feeling satisfied and content with that choice, then, you know, I think it's listening to your intuition. And it's funny because I think breakfast is a hard one because there's not, I mean, there's not a world of a million breakfasts that we (laughs) eat. It's like we usually eat a couple things. And so when we're like, oh, what do I want for breakfast? It's, you know, one of a few things. Um, and so I also think it's it's our tastes evolve. So what I eat for breakfast in the summer is maybe different than the winter or as my body changes, it my tastes just change or I get bored or I don't like that anymore. I want variety. So it's like, I think that intuition is you always kind of check in and say, hey, is this what I want? And if it's a yes, then yes, that's what you want kind of thing. Yeah. I like this way of the measurement you just spoke. 
about feeling satisfied and happy with whatever your choice is, that means we are listening to the intuition. Yeah, that resonates. And it is very much the case. I was just wondering, it almost seems like a programming by eating the same thing every day. But I do change for dinner. I just eat twice a day. So for dinner, I change. Then I'm more open to whatever. <laughs> yeah. And I think really it, it is satisfaction. Like what yeah. if that, what would that as our new measurement? Are we satisfied yeah. instead of right. I had X calories or how many macros? It's like, oh, satisfaction is <laughs> measuring it. Yeah, it is a, a much more natural way to do it. What is to be successful to you these days? I have actually really worked on this one the last, I'd say, year of redefining success from financial because that is what I sort of grew up with is, you know, success is financial. If you're making a lot of money, you're successful to that satisfaction. Am I satisfied Mm -hmm. in my work? Am I happy? Am I, do I feel like I'm doing what I came here to do? And, and including that financial piece. So it, I'm still working on that, just Mm -hmm. trying to uncondition myself. Um, but yeah, it is, it is something that is morphing and changing for me, especially within this last year. What is another word for healing? I would say becoming, well, no, not becoming. I would say unlearning. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of healing is, is like unlearning what we were taught around something, you know, a specific topic or how we're supposed to be or what we have to look like. And when I think of my own healing journey, it really was like an unlearning and a becoming more of me, although that's not one word. <laughs> It's beautifully fine. (laughs) And it's so true. I love your wisdom. Yes. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? I think I would probably go live in Europe for a year. And my husband and I have talked about doing that. And he has a very traditional job. And so right now it's not yet possible. But if I, if I knew my time was limited, I'd be like, next week, we're going to Europe. <laughs> right. That sounds good to me. Very good. And my last question, what are three things about life you know for sure as of now? The first is the heart is never wrong, even if we don't rationally understand it at the time. The second would be we understand everything in retrospect. So and I'm saying that because this is what I'm really learning is like how my work has unfolded in the world. I don't always understand it at the time of why it didn't happen this way or why it didn't happen like I thought it should. But in retrospect, I always say, oh, that's why it happened like that. And the third, I would say, is the answers are always within Thank you so much for your wisdom, your beautiful presence, and this healing conversation. Thank you. I do have one more question for you, a quick one, technical question. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? At my website, jenhan.com, J-E-N-N-H-A-N-D. Tons of stuff over there for blogs and resources. Thank you so much again, Jen, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Jen Hand and her work, please visit jenhand.com.
learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.